Are you awake? Get a little bit of a better response than the 8 o'clock crowd. Uh, it's an interesting question, are you awake? Sometimes it can be hard to tell. Ever had one of those dreams where you woke up and you weren't sure if what you just dreamed had happened or not? Or, or even that weirder experience where like hours later after you wake up, all of a sudden you realize that something that you dreamed last night and you thought was real wasn't real? Um, I, I've had personal long-term side effects from dreams like that. Um, I, I may have shared before, but a, a person who will rename remain nameless, but to whom I am married, um, once had a dream that I had married two other women, like while I was still married to her. And we, when she woke up, she was very unhappy with me and remained a little bit upset about that for, I don't know, the next decade or so. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to tell whether the dream is real or not, right? Uh, there's a wonderful movie about this called Inception. Uh, and it's really about um, determining what's real and what's not, what's a dream and when you're awake. And I want to show you just a, a, a quick clip from that film. Now this is where I need you. You create the world of the dream. We bring the subject into that dream and they fill it with their subconscious. How could I ever acquire enough detail to make them think that it's reality? Well, dreams, they feel real while we're in them, right? It's only when we wake up that we realize something was actually strange. Let me ask you a question. You never really remember the beginning of a dream, do you? You always wind up right in the middle of what's going on. I guess, yeah. So how did we end up here? Well, we just came from the... Uh... Think about it, Ariadne. How did you get here? Where are you right now? We're dreaming. You're actually in the middle of the workshop right now, sleeping. This is your first lesson in shared dreaming. Stay calm. Dreams feel real when we're in them, right? even when they go really wrong. Right? So I think this is exactly what's happening for the disciples in this moment of the story. And I think it's really what's happening for us often in our lives. We are trying to figure out what part of our life is the dream and what part of our life is real. Uh, and, and so I want you to pay attention to what's happening with the disciples here. The disciples... Um, have been following Jesus for three years. They've been all in on His vision and mission. They thought He was the one to redeem Israel, that He was the Messiah. And then He dies. And on this side of Good Friday, they're looking back and wondering if all of that was just a dream, right? If all of that was just a, a wild fantasy, because how can Jesus be Messiah now that He's dead? And so they start dividing up, and um, we see here even some of the disciples are leaving town, giving back to their homes and their old jobs and their old lives. And all of a sudden, this guy starts walking next to two of them. And he says, what are you talking about? And they have a, a wonderfully ironic question, right? They think he's dreaming, 
And they say, are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's taken place there in these days? And he's like, tell me about it. And they say, about Jesus, who we thought was going to be Messiah? And, and obviously it's Christ, right? And, and he is awake and they are asleep. Uh, and then a little bit later it says, um, they sent some women, right? Some women went to the tomb and they came back and they told us that there were angels. And the angels said Jesus was risen, but we went there and we didn't see him. And Jesus is like, I'm right here, right? Um, but they're asleep. And the scripture actually says um, that their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Really interesting. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Not the only time we get this in Luke. So, for example, in the ninth chapter of Luke, in the 44th, 45th verses, Jesus is talking about his upcoming death and resurrection. He says, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into human hands. But they did not understand this saying. Its meaning was concealed from them so that they could not perceive it. Again, in chapter 18, he's talking about these events again. And it says, But they, the disciples, understood nothing about all these things. In fact, what he said was hidden from them, and they could not grasp it. So why are they having such a hard time seeing and hearing and understanding and getting the message of Jesus? Well, he says it's because they're foolish and slow of heart. Uh, and I think what he means is, yeah, you're asleep, um, but it's, it's kind of your own fault, right? Uh, I've been telling you to wake up. And it's almost like they keep rolling over and, and hitting the snooze button again. And, and I wonder... Uh, if there's, a, if there's a way that this reflects our lives sometimes, if sometimes we look around at our world and we say, um, yeah, I, I know that church stuff is really cool and it makes me feel good on Sundays, but then I get back to the real world on Monday. Or we say, yeah, I mean, it was a great motivational speech or maybe it was a poor motivational speech, but it wasn't an encounter with a dead man who got back up. Maybe we give credence to the big ideas. Yeah, I believe that stuff, but we don't live like it's true. And Jesus says, hey, it's time to wake up. Uh, when I was a, a freshman in college, my second semester, I've shared before, I, I took all 9 a.m. classes, which was just really dumb. And one of those classes was a big lecture class, which I slept through more often than I should have. Hopefully, my parents listened to the other service. Um, and the other class was a freshman seminar, um, 15 people. And about a month into that class, all of us had missed it so much that the professor said, if any of you miss this class again, he or she will fail it. I'm not interested in your excuses. I don't care why you miss it. If you miss it, you fail. So I got serious about waking up in time for my 9 a.m. class, uh, and I had a tool that was really helpful that I bet a lot of you have, um, and that was my little alarm clock. This is the same alarm clock that I had in college, and um, it was really great except for two things. One, it did have this little snooze button on the top, uh, and two, it was very easy to just slide this button from on to off, right? So that's worse than the snooze button because then the thing's never going to ring again. I had perfected the art of sleeping um, through my alarm, waking up enough to push this button to off and then going back to sleep. So I, I tried a couple things. First, I, I tried putting my alarm clock like across um, the room from my bed so I'd have to get up out of bed and turn it off. Turns out I can still do that in my sleep, which I think is pretty impressive. Um, 
So then I came up with a solution for all things. And what's the solution for all things? That is right. It is duct tape. Oh my gosh. I thought you were going to say Jesus, but duct tape is right. Um, <laughs> duct tape. And so I literally, every single night, I would duct tape my alarm button on. Um, and then in the middle of the morning, um, when it went off, I would get up, climb across the room, or crawl across the room, uh, and have to rip the duct tape off. This worked really well. It always woke me up. It also was very effective at waking up my roommate, which he enjoyed. Um, here's my point. Um, my, my point is, uh, I think God is going to provide the alarm clock, right? God's going to give us those tools to wake us up. Um, but when he says we're foolish, when he says we're slow of heart, what he means is we need to bring the duct tape, right? We have to bind ourselves to what he offers us. So uh, what are the alarm clocks? Well, there's two of them, uh, and they're in this story, and they're really beautiful and, and almost kind of simple. Uh, the first one is that while they're on the road, Jesus begins to explain the scriptures to the disciples. And notice at the end of this story, after Jesus appears and they recognize him, it says, um, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? Okay, so the first alarm clock is the story of God, right? It's the word of God that, that um, tells us what's real and what's not, which wakes us up to the um, majesty and goodness and mercy of our God. Uh, the second is in the breaking of the bread. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. Uh, it's the sacrament of communion, and it's that experience of God, right? So um, we get the knowledge of God and the, of the story of Jesus through the Scriptures. We get the experience of God through the breaking of the bread and the, the presence of the living Christ. And uh, in a nutshell, our job, if we're going to be um, not slow of heart, is we've got to duct tape that to ourselves, right? We've got we to wrap our lives around the story and the experience of God, which means we've got to make room for it and space for it in our lives. Uh, and we, we can't allow it to be something that we get around to later. It's critical for us. Uh, one of the things I love about this is that the very ways that the resurrected Christ uses to wake up these disciples, He uses to wake us up too. There's actually nothing extraordinary that happens in this story, right? Jesus is already resurrected when He comes to meet them, just like He's already resurrected when He comes to meet us. And He uses the same tools that we have, uh, the Word preached and read and studied and the bread broken, to, to open their hearts and their eyes and point them to Himself, to let them see that it was a dream they were living uh, and that He is the reality. Um, by the way, th th these two tools aren't just alarm clocks that wake us up. Um, they're also tools that help us discern um, while we're in our kind of waking world what's real and what's of the dream. Uh, in the movie Inception, there's an idea called a totem that helps with that, and I want to just play one more clip from that movie. Hey, 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 look at me. You're okay. You're okay. Hey. Why? Why wouldn't I wake up? Because there was still some time on the clock. You can't wake up from within the dream unless you die. You'll need a totem. What? A totem. It's a small person. That's some subconscious you've got on your cob. She's a real charmer. Oh, I see you met Mrs. Cobb. She's his wife? So, a totem. You need a small object, potentially heavy, something you can have on you all the time that no one else like knows. Like a coin? No, it needs to be more unique than that. Like, 
this is a loaded die. I can't let you touch it. That would defeat the purpose. See, only I know the balance and the weight of this particular loaded die. That way, when you look at your totem, you know beyond a doubt that you're not in someone else's dream. That little spinning top is Cobb's totem. And throughout the movie, he'll spin it. And if he's in a dream, it will spin forever. But if he's in the real world, gravity eventually takes a hold and it, and it falls down and stops spinning. And I, I love this idea that the alarm clocks Christ gives us, the Word uh, and the bread, are also kind of totems for us. That we look around at the world in which we live and we say, hey, is this thing that I'm seeing of God or not? Is it real or is it just part of the dream the world is telling me? See, I think you're going to hear all kinds of stories about who you are, about what gives you value as a person, about what makes your life worthy or not. You're going to hear all kinds of stories in this world about um, what will bring you happiness or joy or peace. And, and you've got to take those stories that you're told and those solutions that you're given, and you've got to judge them against something, right? Is this real or is this just a dream? And it's the Scriptures and the experience of the risen Christ that we bring all of that to and we say, does this match what He told me? Does this match the kingdom He proclaimed? Or is it just the nonsense the world tells us? These tools for us wake us up and keep us awake to the presence of God in our midst. Um, by the way, one other interesting detail about this story on the road to Emmaus. Uh, the, the disciples, there's two of them. One of them is never named. One of them is a guy named Cleopas. And, and Cleopas is never again mentioned in Scripture. I think he is the definition of a minor character. And it's interesting to me that Jesus, on the day of His resurrection, takes time to show up. Of course, He's going to see Mary. Of course, He's going to see Peter, right? But He shows up to see Cleopas, a no-name guy, as they're leaving town. I don't know if you notice the end of this story. Um, uh, Cleopas and no-name guy get back to Jerusalem, and they meet with the other apostles, and they're talking about Jesus appearing to Simon, and they tell what was made known to them on the road and the breaking of the bread. And it doesn't say it, but I wonder how many other disciples came back with similar stories. I wonder how many other people Jesus visited this day, how many other sheep that were wandering away He went to find and bring back to the fold. And I love this idea that if Jesus has time for Cleopas and no-name guy, He has time for me and He has time for you to show up and to say, hey, you're worthy of the resurrected Christ appearing in your life and waking you up to the good news that He is awake. Uh, that death has lost, and that we get to be part of His story forever. I, I know so many of you who have told me stories of how you've met Jesus, right? Some of you uh, have met Him uh, in your dreams, ironically. Some of you have met Him in your homes. You've told me stories of encountering Him in bedrooms and on mountaintops, in the birth of children and in uh, the death of loved ones. You've told me stories of encountering Jesus in the majesty of creation and in the majesty of a sickly Haitian child and in the face of a homeless person in downtown Wausau. Jesus keeps showing up. 
And part of our job as the people of God is to say, Jesus, I want to see you. I want to wake up and see you awake. I want my heart to burn within me. I want my eyes opened. Uh, And so if you've never said this prayer or if you've never met Jesus before, I want to encourage you today is a day to say, Jesus, I want to see you. I want to meet the resurrected Christ. I want you to show up in my life. If you have time for Cleopas, I think you have time for me too. Because the good news of the gospel, the good news of Easter Sunday is that the world with its suffering and its sorrow and its darkness, that's the dream. And the reality is that Christ is alive and calls us to life forever. The reality is we already get to live in His kingdom, which is coming and which will come completely when He returns. So look, if, if, if death is real, right? I mean, if death is really the end of our story, then that's going to change how we live. I mean, if death is real, then, you know, maybe money's really important and you should give as much of it as you can and hold on to it and judge yourself by how much you have and how much better you are than other people because you have more than them. But if death isn't real, if death is a dream from which we're going to literally wake up, then maybe we should wake up now and say, I don't know that money is actually all that valuable unless it helps me to, to get the word out about what God has done. If death is the end and, and you know, it's just the end of our story, then you can do whatever you want with your body, right? And you can, you can drink what you want and eat what you want and put what chemicals in with you want and sleep with who you want. It doesn't matter. It's yours and it's just going to go away. But if death isn't the end, if we're going to literally wake up from death as Jesus did with our bodies, then what we do with our bodies eternally matters. Uh, and, and maybe we need to think about how we honor God with what we've been given. If, if death is the end and nothing is coming after it, then I don't know why you need to worry about other people. And, and don't waste your time on the poor and don't waste your time on reconciling with those folks you're arguing with and don't worry about caring for your neighbor because you only got a little bit of time to live this life. But if death's not the end, if it's a dream from which Christ awoke and we will wake and we're going to wake up together, then the way I treat you and everybody around me is going to matter to me forever. And maybe stopping and taking care of that person on the street who's hungry or poor is more important than making my meeting on time. Um, Maybe reconciling with my family member with whom I've been fighting is more important than who was right originally when we started. Because God's stuff is real. By the way, if if death is the end, then all this stuff about God is kind of just a waste of time, right? I mean, either either it's well-intentioned people trying to make us feel better about life, or it's a smokescreen to get money and power and position. But if, if Jesus is alive and death is not the end of our story, then there is nothing more important in your life than how you connect with Him and follow Him, because you're going to do that forever. So the question for us today is, are we awake, right? Are we willing to wake up uh, to the, the Christ who woke himself up from death, or are we just going to keep hitting that snooze, right? Rolling over and going back to sleep. One other, I think, important piece of this for us as we think about what it means to wake up to Christ. Sometimes God's going to call you to be part of waking others up. Sometimes God's going to call you to be part of waking others up. I had an experience once a number of years ago. I was a youth pastor and working at a different church, but um, in Nicaragua on a mission trip, the same place some of us went a number of years ago. 
And I had a student in my youth ministry who had a real hard time getting up in the morning. So the, we, we got up early because the Nicaraguans have a heck of a work ethic. So we had to be out there in the fields with them. So we had breakfast and we hit the, hit the fields at, I don't remember, 7 a.m. or something like that. Uh, and this student just did not like mornings. So the first day we were to go to work, I went up and I, you know, I noticed everyone else was up and moving and he was still sleeping. I said, hey, buddy, time to wake up. Let's get going. No response. And then I turned the lights on. I said a little bit louder. Hey, it's time to get breakfast. Let's go on and get nothing. So then I did the normal things, like I shook him a little bit harder, and I spoke a little bit louder, and I put on my forceful tone, it is time to get up now, you need to get moving. Nothing. So at this point, I'm starting to get worried, right? So I, I leave, and I find his parents, and I say, hey, I can't get your son up. Is he okay? They're like, oh, no, this is totally normal. Every morning is like this. I said, great, would you get him up? They said, actually, you know, we're kind of on vacation on this mission trip. Why don't you be in charge of that this week? <laughs> great, Thanks. So I pulled out all the stops. Uh, we had a boombox, and so uh, one morning I, I found the boombox and plugged it in and cranked the volume up to max and put it right next to his bed. Uh, and that was effective for a, a few seconds, and then he just grabbed his pillows and put them over his head and rolled over. Uh, and then at one point I had some of the other um, guys help me just physically pick him up and carry him outside. And then he just got back up and climbed back inside and got back in his bed. So then we picked him up and we picked up his bed and we took them both outside. Um, still not totally effective. Uh, at one point, I, I literally took a pitcher of water and poured it on his head while he was in his bed. I was like, we're doing this. Uh, none of that was really effective. You know what finally worked? Choco Flakes. Choco Flakes is a, a Nicaraguan knockoff chocolate cereal like Frosted Flakes but with chocolate on it, which was not very good, but let's be honest, for breakfast, it was by far the best option. And finally, this was, I mean, this was without a doubt a divine inspiration. We discovered that he loved Choco Flakes. So every morning, I could get him up out of bed by saying, hey, buddy, Choco Flakes are down there. Uh, th this was Jesus. This wasn't me, okay? Um, my role in this process wasn't to wake him up, right? I wasn't the alarm clock. I was the duct tape, right? I was the persistence. I was the one who wasn't going to give up on him. Your job is not to wake people up. Jesus is going to do that. He's going to do it through the Word and through the broken bread and through the presence of the resurrected Christ. Your job is to be persistent. Your job is to keep bringing people back to him and saying, I'm not giving up on you. We're going to wrap this alarm clock with as much duct tape as it takes to make sure that you hear it and you get up when Christ calls your name. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you are awake or not. If not, today is the day to say, Jesus, um, I want to see you and encounter you and know you. And whatever it takes, I'm going to wrap that duct tape around your word and your presence so it can't get away from me. Or maybe today you know someone that Christ is pointing you to to say, hey, you're going to be my duct tape in their life. You're going to help me wake them up because together we have awesome things to do. Because Jesus woke, and he calls us to wake forever with him. Thanks be to God. Amen.